Welcome to the Imagine Place podcast. I'm your host, Doug Shapiro, and I'm searching for voices that can help inspire a more creative and courageous youth. When I was a kid, I remember a few Saturdays when my dad had to go to work into his office, and my mom must have been busy too, so my brother and I had to go with my dad to his workplace. I remember spending time in a conference room with my brother, and we stayed busy making and testing paper airplanes. Occasionally, we would peer out the glass box into the office scene. It looked incredibly boring. I even remember thinking to myself, oh man, I hope I don't work in an office. The thought and the appearance of office work as a kid could not be any less attractive. Well, who knew? All those years later, I would get so much joy just from a conversation about office work. I find myself doing office work about office work. I mean, how much farther down the rabbit hole can I go here? I suppose if someday someone studies and writes about the history of workplace strategies, it would be a bit like studying the studies of studying. Did I stutter? <laughs> okay, why such a quirky intro? Because my guest is the ever so creative and impressive Reagan Donahue. She leads workplace strategy at Unispace and is one of the most original thinkers when it comes to people and place. I sat with her now for a third time on Imagine a Place to imagine the future of work. You had a, a concept when we were talking once, and I penciled it down, I remembered it, called A Distant Future. Oh, yeah. And it was not necessarily the most optimistic view of the future, right? But it was like an idea of what the future could look like if we got some things wrong. So maybe we can explore that a little bit. We can explore what yeah. maybe a more positive future would look like. But I don't know. What is What do you mean by distant future? Well, I was thinking, so... Like, I'm a person who I crave social contact, but also in spurts, not a full day, you know, because that can be, unless it's very positive, which is today, for example, has been so amazing. Um, and there's a lot of people who crave that. If you're more introverted, maybe not as much. Um, but the problem is that human beings, we need to be around some other living beings, whether it's a dog, whether it's your you know, spouse, whoever, we need human contact. Because otherwise, it's like the greatest form of punishment, which we talked about prisons being similar to the workplace. And if you think about the, the isolation that they put a prisoner in is considered the greatest form of punishment. And they are saying that they can't even do that to prisoners anymore because mm. it's too inhumane. But how many people have been isolated in the last couple of years since the pandemic, who are essentially in an isolation, isolation booth by themselves, who have essentially lost their minds? Because that's what happens when you don't have enough contact, like think about Tom Hanks on Castaway. And great, right. he was acting, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty close to how a human would interact if they were completely alone. And there's a loneliness epidemic that is out there right now. And it's actually happened since prior to COVID. And, you know, I have to actually thank one of my old colleagues, Madeline Dunsmore, who did a presentation on it. And <laughs> it was so fun to watch because it was at the Cornette Global Summit we went to. And every other slide, she had to input 
like a puppy in a teacup or like something really cute and adorable because the stats were so depressing. Oh my. And it was talking about how loneliness is, it's just getting worse and worse. And this is prior to the pandemic. And so when I said a distant future, I was talking kind of a play on words, like it's, you know, not too far away a near distant, but also what the future looks like if we're not careful, if we rest on kind of sitting into this new comfortable habit that we formed of working from home and being more isolated, we might not ever reach out to other humans in the ways that we used to and make the connections that we have and we used to because it takes more effort. And so we might turn into like the ready player one where we can put on our VR goggles and go live in you know a completely distant world where we don't have the kind of human connections that we have when we're face to face. I mean, when I think of video conference calls, sometimes they're effective and absolutely there are times that they're necessary and they are more, I guess, you know, better than a, just a call. But you can't make eye contact when you're on a video conference with someone. In fact, you have to stare at yourself essentially because you're more focused on like, oh, do I look ridiculous in this call? <laughs> so we could just kind of lose our sense of human connection if we're not careful. And if that happens, I think the loneliness epidemic will be more than an epidemic. It's going to be like exacerbated to a level of just almost acceptance. Mm. So it's really a scary idea. So that's the part that could go wrong if we're not careful, if we let technology sort of run our lives. And if, honestly, like you've, it's kind of a like if you lean into it and it's a safe place because you don't have to put yourself out there. You don't have to be as vulnerable. You don't yeah. have to be as social or available. But with, you know, taking on those what some people might see as challenges coming back into the, you know, span of meeting together and coming together, there's such great reward in that. I mean, think about have you ever laughed as much in the last few years that we've known each other than as we've laughed in the last two days? No. <laughs> I have like literally like my cheeks hurt, like belly laughing, so much fun. And to me, that is so crazy because we've, you know, had so many conversations, we've chatted so much, and it's just there's something so special about the human connection that we cannot take for granted. Yeah. We never if, if we do, then we're gonna lose ourselves in this distant future. So that was kind of where I was going with that. I, I feel like there's there's a, something here where sometimes the easy path is not the desirable path in the end. And we do fall into these kind of comfort patterns. Because um, I'm like, well, why, you know, like if it's good for us and it feels good, like why do we avoid it sometimes? Like why do we get comfortable by ourselves? But then I, I thought about exercise. And I'm like, oh, it's not that different, right? I mean, exercise is great for us. And if you do it with some regularity, it feels good, right? To, to do it and release those endorphins, right? And have that experience. And you feel better about yourself later. But uh, yet sometimes it's just hard. And I, I personally struggle with this. It's just hard to get going, you know, like you get comfortable. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, my exercise bike is right there. I could watch that TV show on my exercise bike, but yes. I'd rather just sit here. And I kind of feel like maybe a little bit of that has crept in with regards to how we treat our, our work from home life. Well, it's that Peloton, right? <laughs> yeah. Peloton. I like it's that. It's sitting there and taunting you and like you want to like use it, but it's hard. And it's weird. I actually do find that there is almost a wall that can go up when you have to push yourself to do something that's outside of what is considered the comfort zone. And I find this part really fascinating because there's um, research from psychologists where they talk about the tools. And one of them is 
this this comfort zone that you can sit in is almost like you're looking at this cloud of challenges, things ahead of you that put you outside of what is comfortable. It's taking off the sweatpants and putting on a pair of real pants. Yeah. <laughs> Buckling which, up. You know, let's face it, sweatpants are more comfortable. <laughs> they are, which I would be so in for that being part of the new casual. Right. 40 work weeks <laughs> plus sweatpants. And sweatpants <laughs> and slippers, maybe. I'm not against that. But so they, they gave the analogy of um, to go through the a little bit of pain, you get, end up with these endless possibilities. Mm. And there is actually um, a football player that was a running back. And most running backs in practice wear a red shirt because you're not supposed to tackle them. And so he basically said, in practice, I want you to tackle me. And they're like, well, that's crazy. You could get hurt. And he said, well, it doesn't matter. He goes, I don't want to be afraid of going through the hard part to get to the endless possibilities. So I want to know what it feels like to be hit. So when I'm in the game, I'm not afraid of getting hit. And so I'm more focused and I'm pushing through that to get. And he ended up becoming like one of the highest scoring, you know, running backs of all time. And it was really just more about his mindset of not being afraid to go through the hard times. And you're right, working out is the same thing, I think, where it's it's not only like setting a, a healthy habit, but it's it's connecting to what you value and what you want to get out of this lifetime. Mm. You know, like, what do you, who do you want to be? Do you want to be alone at home, like best friends with your Netflix? Or do you want to have some meaningful relationships and, you know, a good routine of maybe whatever working out is comfortable for you that helps you to elevate yourself and there's that whole idea of like putting a little stress on your emotional, cognitive, and physical to get to be a stronger, better person. That sort of anti-fragile, you know, example yeah. we've always used in the past where yeah. you have to put a little stress on the muscles to make them stronger. And so the more moments you're in a social scenario, the more moments you're working out, you get stronger and stronger. Every time that guy was in practice, he got better and better. And so in the end, it's not as hard. So the comfort zone becomes almost like, oh, I can't believe I even felt like afraid to leave that zone. So, uh, I mean, I, I feel like we're understanding, we're understanding ourselves better. Um, is, is work. So I understand the way, the way we want to do things can evolve, right? But can work like the nature of work, what work is, like, is that going to change? Is it going to revert back to what it was? Is it on this kind of teeter totter? Like, what is the future of work like? I want to kind of get like past 10 years out and say, you know, like, are we going to be, you know, with headsets on? I mean, what's, <laughs> what's going to happen? I mean, what's your best thought around My that? best guess. So interesting that you say that because um, I was actually reading a book by a futurist because I like to read sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> and she was talking about how when you're planning and trying to make a decision on something – it's you should think 10 to 50 years in the future, not six months to a year ahead. Because when you're thinking almost in the present time, you get so caught up in that decision that it's like you're feeling it in first person. Whereas mm. if you start to plan 10 years to 50 years ahead, maybe 100 years, you start to actually get creative because you're no longer possibly going to live in that scenario. So the sky's the limit, right? And so I actually did this exercise uh, when I was in San Francisco with about 25 clients, all in the tech sector, which was really fun because, you know, those guys like to get creative. Yeah. And we had a few that were in, you know, sort of the virtual world space, you know, very heavily involved in that. And they were all saying, like, yeah, this will 
this will be a part of our world. Like, we're not going to ignore the metaverse will be a part of our future. It's how we interact with it and how we use it. I personally think the metaverse should just replace video conferencing. It should just be a new way to virtually meet, but it should not be the only way that we come together. Because again, that authentic face-to-face human contact could be forever lost if yeah. we let it go down that path. Yeah, yeah. I, I do agree that there are there are elements of the metaverse that I think would would bring pieces of communication and human moments that are missing now. Yeah. Like, you know, like, it'd be nice to see someone slump, you know, like if they dislike <laughs> somebody, straight, you know, no. <laughs> or, you know, like show excitement in their body when they want to make a point, you know, because like that's part of communication. Yeah. And it seems like it's missing a little bit now from the when your shoulder's up. Well, the metaverse right now where it's like only half bodies. Right. Yeah. You're still only getting <laughs> That's half That's so creepy. No, and I, I do think they'll get more sophisticated, obviously, in that world. I just really think that we just need to make sure that we augment technology into our world, which means we work like a cognitive collaboration with it. We merge it with ourselves as humans to evolve ourselves as humans, that we don't let technology start to kind of rule our world because then it will become almost the superior species in a way because the reality is if we kind of put it to the forefront, artificial intelligence is already smarter than us. It's already learning faster than us. But there are key elements that it will never have. It will never be able to know what it feels like to have a loved one, Mm. to feel that emotion of compassion, to have that empathy. They've been trying to teach artificial intelligence empathy by showing facial expressions and things. But it's always going to be an algorithm versus like our instincts that come from our limbic system, which is the back part of our brain, our reptilian brain, are have evolved for a very long time. In fact, we didn't produce our prefrontal cortex until about 70,000 years ago. That was when they identified the first official culture in our species. But before that, when we existed as in our, you know, kind of caveman ways, our instincts and our gut and our reactions and our emotions, like our emotional side of us has been around forever since humans have existed. And so I don't know if artificial intelligence can ever catch up to that. It's going to try, but I don't think it will ever have what we have created that is so special as a species. And right. so while we do have our prefrontal cortex is helping us do more analytical, you know, kind of it's our planning brain. It's our way of now thinking about the future. In fact, we're the only species right now that plans and thinks about the future. And that's, I guess, probably why we're even having a conversation about it. Like, we care. <laughs> like, there is not a, you know, a dolphin over there going like, I don't know, like, where am I going to swim next? Like, it just swims, right? They're always present in the moment. A dog, like, everyone always says, if you want to be present, watch a dog. Because <laughs> yeah. they are, like, so present, you know? Walking down the street, just life is good. And we do forget sometimes to be in the present, which is also important. But so I really do think in our in our you know, distant future. Maybe it's not so distant. Maybe it's the connected future, which means we can connect through technology. We connect through social ties. We just need to find ways to continue to stay connected and continue to make sure that like the moments that we're together are the special moments too, because there is no point in going into a place to work side by side with someone when you're on a computer staring at a screen. There is no reason for that person to be in that office. It is actually almost ridiculous that that is expected of certain companies or employees to come in and do that. So if you're going to be actually in a physical space now, I think make it more authentic, make it more quality, make it more focused on making those connections and building those relationships, because that is something, the foundation that we need to support. So in the next 50 years, 
that's something we still prioritize. Because what is our value as we grow as a society? What do we value? If we value human connection over everything else, over all the other you know, advancements, I think that's something that's super important that we need to pay attention to. Will there be a work week um, in the future that that is like Monday through Friday or even Monday God, through not. Thursday <laughs> and there's a weekend or is is work going to completely be less black and white? Because as you're describing all the AI and how technology comes in and embracing our our inner human, like does the, does the entire nature of work change and what it means to have a role in a company and be assigned a salary and value and you do this and is that all going to change too? in your mind or or will that structure pretty much stay the same? And then along with that, I mean, schools, the same thing. It's all, like how much change is ahead of us there? Well, it makes me think backwards before I think forwards where the first official business meetings, like a actual like corporate business meetings took place in these London coffee houses because they were writing these contracts for ships that were about to go across to America and they would have to insure them. So Lloyd's London started there, for example, and they would meet in these more casual environments because it was all about writing that very important contract and then building that trust amongst the person because really this is just like you have to have a, this was a handshake moment, right? Where you agreed to sponsor this big venture going off overseas. And they recognized back then how important it was to sit together and do that. But also think about that. It was really like not a very long period of time they'd have these meetings and then they would go off and get whatever rest of the work done to get the ship ready and it would ship off. But you're right. Back then there was actually no schedule. There was no nine to five Monday through Friday. And then like we kind of shifted into that because of the um, time of manufacturing. They had to have certain times to get certain products out, certain amount because they would make a promise. We're going to get X amount of widgets out by this date. And so – and actually, we have to thank Henry Ford because he was the one who said, actually, people are happier and more productive if we only work five days a week. So he went took it down from six days. So, you know, thank you, Henry, for that. That was like one of his, you know, very nice additions to our world. And But now I do think moving forward, we've started to realize, okay, if we let AI kind of handle some of these more productivity tasks for us moving forward, you know, our job now is more innovation side. It's more creation side. It's more in my opinion, spurts of energy and brilliance that you don't sit around all day in an office and have a hundred great ideas. You have them come to you randomly. And so therefore, if that's what we bring value in the future of business, that shouldn't be the situation in our workday, right? We shouldn't be forced to sit there all day because actually that tires you out and your brain gets tired. So I don't, I hope, I mean, that's I'm already pushing for four-day work week, but I hope actually the entire work week gets thrown on its heads because – and we can experiment in the beginning, you know, and see how right. that works because people are already working from home. So they're already kind of working asynchronously at different times. And there's already expectations to now work on a global scale. I have calls right. with Paris or Japan or – I mean, you know, so it's like if I have to have a call at 7 p.m. with Japan, do I really need to start my next day at 8 a.m.? Does that make sense? Or if I have to do a full, you know, almost 20-hour day – where I'm traveling, does it make sense for me to have to even like report in the office the next day? I don't know. But if, but if you get everything done and you accomplish it all, it really should be this results-oriented work environment moving forward. And it needs to be more focused on, well, what does a company need to accomplish? What is your revenue goal? What is your, you know, moving forward? But 
Also, are we going to even have stocks in the future? Like, is that hmm. going to be how companies are measured? Is that going to live? Wow. Because they've had yeah. they've had some bad years where stocks are kind of not really doing what they were supposed to be doing. And while they've been around for you know a century, is that the way that we're going to measure companies moving forward? Because they've already shifted the measurement from they used to say, well, this company was most productive um, in like whatever profitable. So we give them this value. But now you have companies that are valued based upon their promise and what they could be and what they can accomplish and what yeah. they can get to. And so if we're looking at it from that end, does it really even make sense to put a monetary value like measured that way? Because if your executive is only reporting to shareholders and having to you know, hit a certain number to be profitable, are they always able to make the right decisions for the future of that company and the growth of that company and the people? You know, this um... – this future you're helping me imagine here. I'm just going to toss out a weird question. Just popped I into my head. I love weird. <laughs> Is there email in this future? Please, no. <laughs> you know, I think it's going to be, I mean, we've already kind of hopefully shifted a little bit. I mean, there was a, I did a, like a well CEU credit presentation about 10 years ago. This was 10 years ago. And it said that like people receive, there's about 2.5 billion emails that go out a day. Wow. And just imagine trying to, like, even take in all that content. Your brain is exhausted, so you filter through any email you get anyways. How many emails are you deleting because they're just spam? Over half. I think email is really turning into the mailbox. Yeah. yeah where we is. just get junk mail. You just expect it to be junk yeah. at this point. Well, And also, if you um, have several accounts, it's overwhelming. And so I actually think that we need to work on our forms of communication moving forward. And we totally. need to start figuring out, one – if you're going to have a conversation with someone or share something, you know, do all these people need to be included? Did you need to send that, you know, in an email format or what could that have been a conversation? Because we should also kind of falter back or, you know, default back to like, oh, I was going to share this page long email, but actually I'm just going to pick up the phone and talk to that person because that's another human connection Yeah. versus there's so many ways that you can misread an email. And there's so many times that people get in trouble for, sending the wrong email or whatever it may be. Or it can be so distant if leadership is sending emails and that's their way of communicating to the groups. But that's the massive way of staying in contact right now. You know, I think there should be more town halls. I think there should be more, you know, like all groups coming together in the meetings where people, again, are hearing a message and it's consistent. So you can actually see the reaction on people's faces. Like yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna make a major shift in your company, or you're gonna make a big decision on we're returning to work now, you should probably see how they're gonna react, like emotionally. <laughs> that's a, that's watch, a great point. Watch their faces, and if they all go, you know, I mean, or they'll try and hide it and go, you know, it's like you can tell, or someone's like, yes, I get to go back to the office five days a week, eight to five. Has anyone ever done that? <laughs> Has anyone done that since the pandemic? No one. So what are we going to do about this? Like, Because yeah. this is our world, by the way. And I still feel passionate that there's a reason that people have to come together. We just have to set them up. I mean, it's honestly like the space that you're showing me earlier, that brainstorming area. We need to design better meeting spaces that are for like multiple different types of meetings too. Right. And honestly, we almost need to shift the word meeting into like, what is this? Is this a co-creation? Is it like a co-action? Is it a decision-making? Because – to me, is something entirely on its own, but maybe we shift that word as well. So we kill the emails, please. Kill the meetings. Kill the meetings, and we start to redefine 
how we're working today and what's effective because the way we're working has completely changed. I, I, I agree. I, I think there's like work has become so cultural and so fundamental that all of it goes unsaid. Like how work happens. We don't talk about the how because, I mean, we've all grown up with work. <laughs> we've been around it. It's like work is everywhere. It's just yeah. part of what we're doing. So we're never taking the time to discuss the like, well, should we be calling it a meeting? Like, No, we just call it a meeting. And I kind of think there's this like, there's this thing we have to go through where we just throw everything on the table. And then all the stuff that was, you know, all the stuff that was implicit and understood and cultural, like, do we need to rename this? Do we need to redo this? So do we need to break the rules of business? Yes. I love that. Because yes. also one of my biggest issues is that businesses and their vacation times are not aligned with schools. That's a that's a great one. Because also schools don't need to have summers, I guess, but it's kind of nice for the kids. But if you think about that, that alone puts so much pressure on a parent to then do something with that kid, especially a young yeah. child. For Man. three months, I mean, every parent that has young children dreads that time because you're either going to dump about 10 grand into camps or as I have witnessed certain people slowly losing their minds because the kids are in the background just getting into Lord knows what. And so I think that you're right. We need to rewrite the rules and maybe not even rules. Maybe this is like our society is yes. having a chance to come together and we're at this new dawn, you know, this new evolution as a species that technology is supporting us better than it's ever done before. And it's going to make our lives easier in a lot of ways. But we need to figure out, like, our true purpose moving forward. Actually, my sister, I loved it because I said, you know, in the future, it says that eventually AI will do so much for us that we don't need to work. And I said, but then what happens? Because humans need purpose. Right. We need purpose to exist. Like, if you don't have a purpose in life, it's actually very hard to get out of bed. If you have something that you don't feel connected to. And so either way, she said the most profound things. She's like, well, what if our purpose is to save the world? Like from its, you know, like not let it come to demise. I don't know. So maybe we become a little bit more altruistic in our goals too. Maybe Ooh. businesses are no longer financial, you know, making all these people rich. Maybe as a society, we decide, hey, we want to stay on this earth for longer. And if we make certain choices that are only profitability based, that might fully impact the future that we, you know, want to have. But, I mean, that is that is like 100 years out, I think, maybe 50 to 100, like the true, right. more altruistic approach. But, again, in an idealistic world, there's always going to be the people that are going to focus on how they're going to be, you know, the rich ones are ruling that. And so how do we kind of find a way to sort of keep that working for businesses where the ones running the businesses are still happy – but yet the people who are still working there, they feel connected to their purpose and to the values and to the mission. It's like it makes you want to ask the question, is competition learned through culture or is competition inherent and inside of us? Because at the head, at the head of this is competition, right? I mean, before there was money and wealth, there was still wars. And well, maybe it wasn't because it was probably over resources. Maybe it yep. wasn't. Maybe it wasn't like the wealth we know today. But is competition something we can get away from? And, and materialism. Know. Yeah. Like, can we stop worrying about, you know, who's driving which car or who has which purse? And can we start thinking about just the quality of everyone's life? 
you know, can we maybe repurpose some of these empty office buildings to give them to the homeless? I mean, that that is a fascinating exploration. How, how does how does workplace play a role in kind of nudging us in that, like, place specifically and nudging us in this direction of, like, being more supportive of, like, what it means to be human? I think we need to stop calling it the workplace. Love I mean, that. we're, because where work is happening everywhere, right? And I don't know, is this really work still or is it something different? I mean, is this more creation space? Love is it. it. Like, I love maker spaces. I love that word. You know, I love... Um, ideation labs. I love, you know, if you give it more of a, a different path and you, I mean, honestly, you kind of have to brand it because a lot of people need you to sort of nudge them into understanding what, how they're supposed to use this, this space. Yeah. But I really think if, if you continue to call it the workplace, people are going to relate to it, the original workplace that they came from that they hated. Yeah. No one liked going to sit in a bench like a, five inches away from the other person and dealing with noise and distractions HVAC issues, lighting issues. They had no control over their environment. And so going in there to work, I witnessed so many people putting headphones on, hoodies up, slouching in just to kind of get their space back to them because, I mean, honestly, it's funny. We call it work workspace, but really there wasn't a lot of space. No. <laughs> they were sardined in because they didn't know what to do. With it. They were growing at these rapid numbers, some of these companies. But now, okay, not as many people want to come back. And you still have this environment that you need to do something with it. But if you can rebrand it to be a destination that people actually want to go to, because I can't tell you how many times it's it's very easy to say, I don't want to go to I don't want to go to the office because I don't want to deal with the commute. The commute's too much. But yet that same person will travel two hours to go on vacation. It's not or the will, commute. Yeah. Or they'll fly, you know, ten hours to Hawaii. It's not the commute. It's the end destination that they don't want. They weren't getting the value out of it. Yeah. It's almost like the workplace needs a marketing department. Yeah. You know, and it needs a branding. branding. Yeah. It's like And it, it needs like to be go on like a brand journey where it's has a total refresh and it comes back as like something more than a mundane sort of soul sucking environment that just takes the fun out of everything and it needs to be a softer, kinder place. I love that, that people feel they can go and actually, you know, like find a little bit of respite, find a little bit of support, find some social connections, learn something from your mentors that day, you know, have an ad hoc meeting that you didn't imagine happening. But, you know, those are all the values that people have in the future of the environments. And so how do we continue to support that? And what do these people do with all these desks that are just sitting around? You know? Yeah. Oh, I mean, what do, we, what do we do with those? Like we need to... There's a lot of desks that are not being used right now. Like, how do we help those people that their job is to repurpose that now? And they're being told by executives, but don't spend too much money, but figure it out. Pressure's on you. And I think leadership needs to take a bigger role in this. I think testing needs to happen more. There needs to be, in every office environment that's not being utilized at a certain level of capacity, three or four or five different tests and experiments going on of new ways of engaging in this space. And I'm not saying working anymore. I'm literally going to drop that word. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Working, meeting. There's another yes. one going to drop. Oh. Because they just, I mean, honestly, they're they're kind of, they're, they're getting bad connotations now. They they're are. not, people I mean, are not relating to them anymore. This idea of like rebranding, renaming, um, I want to explore an idea with you that's popped into my head. Um, I... Uh, 
I was speaking with a sports psychologist and he was describing to me uh, how when you have an athlete and they mess up, your coach, the worst thing you could do is have them do physical exercise as their punishment. Oh. Like if you, you know, as an athlete, you'll need to run. You'll need to do physical exercise to perform your best. It's like literally part of being an athlete. And so, um, you know, if you make somebody run laps, like you're actually associating a really important tool for this person that they'll need the rest of their lives with a punishment. So you should they never do it. that, right? They hate it. They end up hating it. I was having this discussion. I was relating that to the office. I was like, you know, if you don't give someone a choice, like if you've taken away choice and then the, the person I was speaking with, Lydia Moya, who's my colleague, she, she came up with an even better analogy. She was like, it's like when you're a kid and your parents make you eat broccoli, <laughs> right? You I'm grow laughing up, because I am failing yes. at that with my kids. <laughs> you, you, you end up hating broccoli. <laughs> yes. But the reality is broccoli's good. It yeah, tastes good. It's not so bad. It's good for you. Yeah. And it just needs a rebrand. And, and I start to wonder, like, if we, if we were never forced to eat broccoli as a kid, and it was always a choice, would it have the bad reputation it has now? And if workplace, if workplace was always a choice and it was never a place we had to go to, would we, ha would we have this big feeling towards it that we have? Would, would we despise it? Or would it just be this great convenient tool that we get to use and whenever we want, it would be no big deal. Like where would we be right now if it was always a choice? I mean, I always think like, if you left it up to the employees and you said, okay, fine, like figure it out. They would eventually say, okay, we need a place to do these things. These are the activities that we need to come in person to do. And it's very, it's becoming very clear what those are. It's just, the space needs to be a social anchor. It needs to bring people together. Events are becoming one of the hottest things that are happening there. But it's also a challenge because everyone in operations is not, the space is not prepared for that. Mm. It's not prepared for the entire department to come. And oh my gosh, all the departments decided to come on the same day because we haven't coordinated this new way of hybrid working. But now it's becoming more of an event space. It's also becoming more of a space where you want to sit side by side with your experienced mentor and also reverse mentoring. And that's how you're going to learn tacit knowledge, which is very hard to transfer unless you're in person. And implicit knowledge is more of the training that you could get online at home. Right. So it's really the true definition of, yes, you have choice, but then make sure if you're doing that, the space has to be outfitted to support why they would want to come back. And the, you know, the final one is that like bumping into someone conversation and the, you know, co-acting together. Whereas you will never bump into someone online. <laughs> like, oh, I just ran into you. Like, how awkward would that be? You just message someone. Oh, I didn't mean to run into you. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, butt that dial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> that's as close as you can come yeah. to running into someone online. Hey, well, well, like, well, yeah, I butt dialed yeah, <laughs> Like, oh my God, it's so weird. I was just thinking about you. <laughs> I, I just overheard your text because I was watching you. <laughs> like, yeah. I was watching your DMs like a creeper. Like, no. In fact, even on Miro, you can see when someone's on it, if you're working at the same time, and it yeah, feels super yeah. creepy. It does feel creepy. You're just like, oh my I God. Agree. Like, I have to call that person when I'm doing it because I'm like, okay, we can't asynchronously work at the same time on a document where I see your name moving around. It feels so, like, inauthentic. And so I really think that, yes, give them the choice. Because, again, choice and control, that's something that will never go away. Right. And a need as a human 
no matter what you're doing in life, if you don't feel you have choice and control in your life, just forget it. And that's with everything. But I do agree. It's funny. I, I kind of play those psychology games with my kids because, you know, it's like not only if you like if you force someone to have something, obviously they're going to hate it. You're right. Like they're absolutely going to. We do the same thing. My son plays jujitsu. And the second he says he doesn't want to go, we'll have him go one day that week, not two. Right. Because we're like, we don't want him to hate it. But we're like, also, you made a commitment. So it's important to kind of if you've made a commitment to remind him of that. But then it's like if you make it sort of like alluring and brand it. But even more so, what if you can't have it? Mm. What if there's something like kind of, I don't want to say exclusive because I know we're all yeah, about being yeah. inclusive. But what if there's something like if you are a VIP user of the space, maybe you earn some points and you get access to some certain areas like a United lounge in an airport, right? Because I'm a frequent flyer and I hit a level and I kind of love hitting that status and I stay loyal and I keep coming back. And, you know, you're willing to take certain trips that maybe you wouldn't have taken just to get to that point. Is that gamification almost a fun way to make something more alluring? Ooh, there's a total psychology play there, <laughs> there which is. is super interesting. <laughs> there was a moment where it felt like there was a solar eclipse. And like, did, you, did. did you see that? And what like, was that? Everything changed. I'm like, I no, did no, that. I didn't do it on purpose. There's a ton of influence from this window over here. So when the sun changes, the light changes inside the Oh, obeya. funny. That yeah. was really funny. It was almost like the future was telling us it's here. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> like Why is the, the future makes that sound? <laughs> <laughs> why does the future why, make this Why? Why are robots sound? beep, boop? <laughs> like, who decided that? <laughs> is there something you've been reading or you're reading right now that's like, you know, you're just eager to share with us? So this is what happens whenever I have to create something like content or research. What I'll do is I'll grab like eight to 12 books and I'll fill, fish through them. So I've got my tabs and I look and find the part that goes, <gasps> yes, like that's the, you know, and one of my favorite books that I keep going back to and I can't quit it. I just can't quit you, Daniel Cable, Alive at Work. I love him. He is a social psychologist from the University of London. He wrote this book, Alive at Work. And he talks about humans have this part in our brain that is essentially like the the tone downward is a seeking system, but there's a more, you know, neuroscience term that I don't know right now off the top of my head. But the part that's interesting about the seeking systems, he said, this is what back in the day sparked curiosity in the initial humans to explore. Mm. It like our seeking system is our curiosity, our need to learn new things, to explore new things, to see new things. And when that's ignited, that is when humans are fully in flow and they're fully engaged and they're just like, you're living your best life. Yeah. And the opposite of that is exactly what we're doing at work right now, oh. which is fear-based mechanisms. The like, eat your broccoli situation, go run sprints. It is KPIs, which is key performance index or it's OKRs, the objectives and key results, or it's whatever data is being tracked and measured through your productivity, through what your outputs yeah, are. stay on task. It's these um, performance meetings where it's not an ongoing conversation. It's a quarterly or annual meeting that you have where you're reported to about what you performed on or whatever. Those fear-based tactics actually turn our seeking system off. Huh. And so it actually, when you're acting out of fear, you're not creative, you're not innovative, you're not 
quite frankly, productive. And that, I think, is one of the biggest reasons why people hate work. And one of the biggest reasons why they don't want to come in the office because they they fear that that's going to only become like I hate to say, it, but I think managers are a little bit insecure of their place right now with their employees and not all managers, but some of them with larger groups, for example, feel the need to kind of measure that because data, the era of big data also needs to go away. <laughs> yeah, we, we need to stop measuring ourselves through data. I am sorry, but thank you. I'm glad we had that moment. You know, when I read about that in the HBR article in 2016, I was like, oh, no. You know, we are in trouble because now all the people who got their MBAs and want to pull out their spreadsheets and measure the data are going to have their moment. And they did all their graphs and they did lots of, you know, statistics and performance index measures, et cetera. But now you're not going to bring people back if they know that that's the way they're going to be engaged with. And so the seeking system is how do you spark curiosity and, like, get the brain excited to explore? Like, how do you create exploration in a space where almost surprising and delighting people with ideas or fun things you could do? And there's so many different ways you can do that. But in the end, the the point of it all was, like, when you connect to that, you get um, more purposeful happiness. Hmm. People are kind of more driven and like Mihai Chisnek Mihai said the same thing where when you're fully in flow, that's like the you know best part for like a human being is, and he was a positive psychologist from I think the seventies and same one that said we share 98% of our genetic makeup with chimpanzees. <laughs> and the only thing that separates us from the apes is our ability to be creative and think differently. Oh, we don't want to turn that off. No. What? <laughs> so we don't want to turn that off. You I mean, lose that 2%, you lose everything. Jane Goodall will be very excited. She'd have a lot of more people to like watch over and like gorillas in the mist. <laughs> you know, like as you're describing this, the the data being, you know, like, trying to get away from that, being the way we measure things and key performance indicators and all these things. Um, I'm, I'm like, I'm thinking the manager now is probably... You know, it's almost like they they don't need to be the expert in the subject. They need to they need to be more like a coach. You know, like a like a like literally a sports coach would have the skills to be a manager Ooh. in any in any place. Maybe so now that's a new recruitment strategy. That's what I'm thinking. Like because you talked about like wanting to get people inspired and get people curious, and it's like. You're actually trying to change someone's behavior into a positive movement. You're not trying to measure results anymore, right? You're trying to influence behavior. And I'm like, it feels like the managers now are experts in their field. Maybe maybe we get totally away from that and just say like management is like a function, almost like almost like IT is a function, you know, like well, if you think you, about management, the tools exist today in technology to manage your employees, to manage performance. Right. So there's no need to manage people. It's more like leadership. It's leadership. It's the. It's funny you mentioned coaching because I recently coached my daughter in cheer, which was like definitely not my skill set. But in order for her to cheer, I had to sign up to be the coach. And it was interesting because – as a coach, you have to empathetically. Empath- <laughs> we cut that. <laughs> empathetically. Is that a word? Yeah. Hold on. Yeah, empathetically. <laughs> you nailed okay. it. 
Okay, hold on. As a coach, you, you need hit to, your word limit for the day. You need to be. <laughs> <laughs> You've hit your word limit. Yes, I am done talking. <laughs> as a coach, <laughs> sorry. When like when I was coaching them, I felt almost a the compassion came out, the caring part came out, the how do I help them in their growth? Because it was no longer about the performance. Because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, if those girls are out there cheering together and having a fun time, I feel like I've won. Totally. And honestly, if we went out and we cheered, we did our job, you know. And quite frankly, performance, maybe it doesn't have to be perfect anymore. Maybe yeah. it's okay to be a little human there. But if people are engaged and having fun and doing a good job, maybe something else creative comes out of it. And while we were doing this, I tried to give them actually more choice and control in how we did it. And I said, okay, you know, because they were all kind of over the cheers we were doing. And I said, okay, if anyone else has any cheers they want to add in, feel free to make up your own. You can teach the group, whatever. I can't even tell you. It was like, yes, oh, oh, because they used to be like, I don't want to learn the cheer. And then all of a sudden when they were able to make up their own cheer and show it to the group and, you know, do it together, I had every girl was trying to do like three new cheers per Love game. It. it was really sweet. But I think that the tools exist for managers if they need to have the management part down and technology that handles it, right? right? The productivity tools exist. So managers are in the future, they need to have more of that emotional intelligence. It is just hands down. It's a non-negotiable in my opinion. They need to almost be like a little bit of a therapist to, to their employees. They need to be that support system, that coach. They need to be focused on their the employees and their growth. You know, some of the best managers I've ever had are ones who looked at me and said, okay, I see these are your strengths. How do I remove obstacles so you can move forward with those strengths and just crush it doing that? Right, Versus if there's other managers saying, well, you haven't met these parts. And maybe that's like not my strength and I'm mediocre at best, even if I put my full, like if you were to the strengths finder where they say, um, I actually went to their training classes for the strength finder people. And they said, essentially, if you find people that are mediocre readers or like like average readers and then speed readers, and then you train them each how to read faster, you take the average readers went from 90 words per minute to 150 words per minute. But the speed readers went from like, I think they had like 200 words per minute to 3,000 words per minute. Good Lord. So if we are only pushing and coaching on the strengths, we will have the highest level of performance. So I think managers' jobs as well is to figure out what are employees good at? And what are they bringing to the table? And are they aligned with the right skill set with what their job is? I feel like there's like a whole HR element to oh, right? business that is just waiting to be discovered. They need to be given so much more power from leadership. I, I, I agree. I think they're, they more budget, more yeah. influence over teams and chemistry. And I just, well, it's no, it should no longer be human resources, right? They've changed that to people. Right. Because they don't even want it to seem like they're holding us as resources. They yeah. want to they want to be seen as they're the voice of the people. They support the people. And quite frankly, um, most people in people departments, they actually now have chief people officers in a lot of different companies. And that person is typically one of the decision makers in the future of the workplace. So, you know, at the end of the day, I just think that they're – they're having a moment and it's important because their moment needs to grow further and further. They need to get more and more power because anyone who's focused more on the the well-being of the humans in the environment, 
versus just the well-being of profitability. It's like the difference, in my opinion, between the lead accreditation and the well accreditation. Yeah. You know, are you only focused on the environmental part of the building or are you focused on the full sustainability of the human being? Yeah, that is, you wonder if, if you almost want to look, look at a data set of companies that have had very human-focused leadership and very financial-focused leadership and just put them side by side, interview people that have worked there, look at their success. I don't know, there's something, there's something interesting about that study. I'd be willing to say that I bet majority of the ones that were only financially focused don't exist anymore. I would think so too. I think we could go back and do a study on that. Maybe that's our follow-up Especially discussion. going forward. I mean, yeah. my gosh. Well, because I, that one stat that I read where it's like since 1958, over like 90 or 90% of Fortune 500 companies no longer exist. It's like if you if you wanted to become a leader, you could go back and get a you know, an MBA in finance or psychology, mm-hmm. you'd be way better off studying psychology. It feels it feels like it was just a decade ago where it was like, well, you gotta have that finance. You gotta have that finance well, background. And AI is gonna do the finance for you. That's what I was just thinking too. So like, it's like, you know, Kenny Powers don't be the best at exercising, like play real sports. <laughs> we need to play real sports now. We need to go out and play the baseball. We need to actually go out and learn the real um, tactics that are important as our survival, quite yeah. frankly. It's we need to do things that are again embracing the parts that we are the experts at. And it's the emotional intelligence needs to come forth. There's other types of intelligence we can focus on. There's positive intelligence, which is another book I love. It's by a professor from Stanford and he talks about as humans we have this inner judge where hmm. we have to judge our environments. We just, you know, good or bad, we have to decide if this environment's safe. Can I proceed? You know, back in the day, it was like, is a saber-toothed tiger going to eat me? Or should I fight him? Should I run away? And either way, we have to be a quick judge. And what happens, too, though, during this time is our stress cycle starts. If there's a very, like, stressful time that we're making a judgment on something. So, like, we're making a critical decision. Our stress cycle starts. And we haven't figured out how to complete that stress cycle. And so on a regular basis, we're just constantly sort of feeling like this. Whereas if you had an empathetic coach, you know, moving forward, that person would be able to guide you with tools on how you can manage your stress cycle better. Hey, you know what? Go for a 20 minute walk around the building. I can tell you just went through a lot. That was tough call for you. Um, There was a cruise line company I worked with where the operators asked for a scream room. (laughs) Wow. Because they would get the highest level complaint calls. And they were like, can we just have a room where we scream? It's like, yes, you Man. deserve that. I suppose that's good for you. There's probably a release or something yeah. you know, that happens there. <laughs> but so the, to go back to positive intelligence, I kind of went around the block for a minute. But he then talks about we all have saboteurs. And there's all things that we have learned to protect ourselves since we were younger to then survive in this world. Hmm. And so one of my saboteurs is people pleasing. And I try – I usually give a lot more of myself – at times that maybe is almost too much. And what he says is with each of these saboteurs, a little bit of it's okay, but you have to be aware of it. So if you overextend it, if I overextend my people pleasing, I end up becoming resentful because I'm giving too much. And it's not anyone else's fault but my own. I need to be aware of that. Or if someone is a stickler, like they're kind of stuck in their ways and they really can't make a decision. And I I do feel a lot of... um, Critical decision-making, people are a little bit too much of a stickler when they're trying to make a decision. They need to kind of just, you know, dive deeper. And then he talks about how, like, in order to 
overcome these, we need to engage our inner like sage. We need to focus on the empathy, focus on the innovation, focus on, you know, all of the things we've been talking about today. So it's interesting, like that kind of comes to mind too, that these are some skill sets I think that could be trained for management moving forward of also the trust building. You know, you're going to have a, a good chunk of your workforce is probably going to be fully virtual forever. Yeah, and I, I would agree. Is there either someone who represents all the remote workforce or maybe even a president of remote workforce? Hmm. Or is it like each manager knows how to manage that, not manage though. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> lead, guide, lead, guide, coach. To understand, you know, to support. I mean. Support's a good word. You know, asking how are you doing and meaning it. I just love that you said we had an inner sage. Right? I'm like, man, do I have an inner sage? You do. You do. Like, I'm so happy about that. <laughs> Do we need to sage the room for you now? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm kind of like, me and my inner sage are going to drive home today yes. and we're going to have a conversation. You're it's going to be great. Good. Yeah. Like, and you're also probably going to recognize what are the things that you're doing that's sabotaging your overall happiness? Yeah. Because positive intelligence in teams is the overall goal, right? And so it's like, how does each person focus on the parts that they're bringing to the table that... And everyone has the judge, by the way. So how do you kind of prevent judging every scenario and being so harsh on it? Because we don't need to judge everything to survive anymore. Sure, yeah. Unless you're a saber-toothed tiger and you're not going to get it. <laughs> Is there going to be like a Wolverine moment <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> watch out for? <laughs> Are you going to go werewolf on me? I know Halloween's over. Uh, but <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> you're good. <laughs> what you see is what you get. But yeah, so it's it's really like how do you kind of – Work. I mean, I think really what the whole point is, is that everyone in our entire world needs a little bit more therapy and a little bit more self-awareness. And we all need totally. to kind of be a little bit more introspective so we can bring our best self, right? So we can have our best relationship with our families, with our friends, with our work colleagues. I mean, think about that. What if everyone coming to the table was just in a better headspace in general? If you enjoyed the episode today, we'd love a rating or review. It's one of the best ways you can help others find this podcast. For more design stories, visit us at OFS.com slash imagine a place. From OFS, I'm Doug Shapiro. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>